Amen. You can be uh, seated. We'll dismiss the uh, older school-age kids to head to the back. And they're going to go and have a great time. A word again to our uh, uh, parents who are in here that you have an activity sheet in your connection guide to follow along with what they're learning back there. I encourage you to participate in that or something else. Um, one of the things that we've been doing as, as a family is uh, shooting really for one specific night of the week where we got to gather all the kids around the couch and we read God's word together and we pray specifically for what God's doing um, in their lives. It's really unique to hear prayers of a uh, child. Right now, Hudson is praying for more candy. Um, that's what he wants. So I'm not saying that everything's deep. I'm just saying that it's cool to see inside their little hearts. Um, I'm going to encourage you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 18 as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs. If you're uh, new, um, visiting with us, we've been walking through Proverbs, and I think this is sermon number seven, and the first, I think, four sermons, we just talked about the difference between wisdom and folly, um, that the two paths that we fall on or that we, get, we choose to walk on, um, the one is the, is the way of wisdom, which ultimately is the way of Christ, and one is the way of folly. We walked through that a few uh, weeks, and then we started to pick out some of the themes in the book of Proverbs, and if you've read through the Proverbs, you'll know that these themes repeat themselves again and again, and there's lots. There's probably, we could probably point to at least 12 different themes in the book of Proverbs. We won't cover all of those, so we're uh, focusing on a few that I think are very applicable to our church and, uh, and just maybe to our hearts. And last week, we talked about the sluggard. Um, and that was a tough sermon for me to preach, uh, just because if you, you might have found this about God's Word, that when you open it, it reads you more than you read it, right? It's like a, uh, looking into a mirror, the book of James says. It reads you. And uh, this week, again, um, the power of words. The right words at the right time and the right tone can impact a person's life forever. The right words at the right time and the right tone can impact a person's life forever. Think about this. In the past, someone has spoken the right words to you at the right time, and it's like balm on your heart. It's fuel to keep you going. Literally, in my life, I can look back on specific moments where someone said the right words at the right time when my soul needed to hear them, reminding me of my identity in Christ pointing me to the hope that we have in Christ, just sharing affection with me, have meant the world to me, have literally changed the course of my life. I remember in high school, having grown up in church, a guy named Warren Jackson put his arm around me. He was a youth pastor at a different church. He had visited our school during lunch. He put his arm around me, and he asked me, what has God been saying to you lately? And I'd been in church my whole life, and that question literally rattled me because I had never seen of this, uh, this really personal daily walking with God kind of thing, or at least I'd never been held accountable to it. And through that introspection, I began to really ask God, okay, God, really, what are you saying to me? And God began, even at that point, to really point me into this um, pastoral calling. And that came from a question, the right word at the right time, like balm in my heart, like, like fuel in the tank kind of set me on a certain course. I was really nervous about planting this church that we planted, uh, Covenant Church, seven years ago. And I remember being really discouraged. 
and a friend that God had sent to me, and I didn't know them very well, just met them over a few days at one of our church planter assessments. He put his arm around me and said, Luke, I know that you were made for this. The right words at the right time and the right tone can change a person's life forever. However, you know, conversely, the opposite is true. The wrong words at the wrong time and a wrong tone can damage someone's life forever. And literally in this room and this week, as I've talked to some of you about this very thing, some of you have held on to hurtful words for 20 years. Something someone said when you were vulnerable and weak or they had a position of power and influence, they said the wrong words at the wrong time and the wrong tone, and you are still dealing with the aftermath of those words landing on your heart. The enemy sometimes uses those words to convince you that you're unworthy or unlovely or undeserving. All of this from a few words spoken haphazardly. And this is the problem with words. Words can be like a grenade in the hands of a three-year-old. Nobody wants to get around that. Or they can be like a scalpel in the hands of a gifted surgeon. They can be used to bring healing or they can be used to bring death. James reminds us of this in the scripture that Amber read for us. The power of the tongue. James, overseeing a lot of the early churches, if you've been in church very long, maybe you know the power of a word spoken wrongly in a church, how it can bring incredible division, how you can participate with the enemy just with a word haphazardly spoken to bring division. James talking about this, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is that fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. These are powerful words, are they not? For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's full of restless evil and deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things should not be. James says there's this duplicitousness. There's this double-mindedness of all of us, even within the church, even those that have been justified or in the process of being sanctified and are one day headed to be glorified, even us that are in this, that we can use this tongue to bring blessing and cursing and James says this should not be I think we see this in our world we probably see it in our own lives just takes a few minutes on to turn on the news to see this right everyone makes caricatures of everyone else that we just take one little thing that we don't like about them and we paint them in this terrible shady light because of this one thing this is our we we are as, as James says that we're using this Tongue full of evil, death. We're, 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 we're blessing the Lord, our Father, but we're cursing people made in his likeness. James is describing a person who just lets their mouth go on like an unbridled horse. His uncontrolled tongue reveals that his, James would say, his religion is worthless. Being merely an exercise and just acting. He's, such a person's been playing the part of one who's religious and he's even convinced himself that he is really religious. But in doing so, James says, he's only deceived himself. Jesus would say that 
from the mouth, what comes out of the mouth originates or begins in a man's heart. And that's where we're going at the end of this. You want to know what's in your heart. Listen to your mouth. Listen to what you say. Let me ask you this question as we turn the spotlight on our own hearts. Do most of your words build up or tear down? Do your words promote you? Or do your words promote others? Do your words ooze life or ooze death? Do your words speak truth or speak lies? Our words matter. As I said earlier, this has been a tough thing to study, and I've done really good with my words this week until this morning. Hudson threw a fit, and he kept throwing a fit, and I don't understand. He, he wanted breakfast, uh, Lucky Charms this morning. He wanted Lucky Charms, and he also wanted Mickey Mouse to have Lucky Charms. Mickey Mouse is his four-foot stuffed doll that someone gave us. So Mickey Mouse is sitting at the table with us, and I, we, we fix, I fix Mickey Mouse uh, some Lucky Charms as well, um, being the good dad that I am, and even give Mickey Mouse a spoon. I didn't want to waste the cereal, though, so I refused to pour milk for Mickey Mouse. I know Mickey Mouse is not going to eat it, thinking that later when Ellie wants Lucky Charms, I can just slide Mickey Mouse bowl over, and then now Ellie's bowl's ready. And he threw a fit. As only a three and four year old can do, maybe you're aware of it, and you know. And then I'm like, you know, well, this is this is disobedience. Now, you know, you're treading on the wrong area here, Hud. You're not going to win this. On back to his room and back, and we're you know threatening spankings and all this. And I sit down with him. He just doesn't get it, and I'm trying to explain it to him. He doesn't get it, and he said, "But Daddy, Mickey Mouse likes milk." And I said, forget Mickey Mouse. I'm going to put Mickey Mouse in the dumpster. Like, Mickey Mouse is gone. That did not help at all. I have this tendency in my own heart, if I'll be honest with you, to use the authority of my words. They don't work in many places. Hoping they will work with Hudson this morning, and they did not. It just scared him into like, wait, what's happening to Mickey Mouse? If we're not careful, we'll use our words to tear others down, to elevate our perspective, to punish others. Our words really matter. There's incredible power in the words that we use. And this, tr- this truth is not lost on the author of Proverbs. As a matter of fact, the author of Proverbs, almost 20% of Proverbs talks about what comes out of our mouth more than any other subject. At least 150 verses teaching us or warning us on the power of our words. Of course, we don't have time to address all 150 of those words today, but I want to get at the heart of the subject, and I think it's in chapter 18 and verse 21. And if you're with me there, you might highlight this as a uh, reminder that when you come to it every month, as maybe you're reading through the book of Proverbs like a lot of us are, that it'd be a great reminder to you in verse 21 of chapter 18. It reads, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life and the power of the tongue. According to this verse, every word that you say bears fruit. Every word. 
in your life and in the life of those who hear it. Every word you say bears fruit. Every word like a seed planted on the soul of another person. Every word. Can we just stop there and just spend a lot of time in repentance? Every word like a seed planted on the heart of the person who hears it. Some fruit can be seen quickly. Others, it takes years to produce fruits. Again, from this verse, we see that all who love it will eat of its fruits. We see this and the book of James. Two distinct and different consequences for our words. Words that bring life and healing and virtue. And then words that bring death and destruction. Did you realize that your words had that much power? There are life-giving words and death-dealing words, words that carry with them the breath of life and others that carry with them the stench of death, truthful words and false words, words that build up and words that tear down, death-dealing words and life-giving words. You may think that that's a harsh category, this death-dealing words, but not in Proverbs. The author of Proverbs speaks so much about slander and lying and gossip and flattery, just a few ways that our words carry with them the stench of death. Proverbs 12:22 says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. We see this attitude of God toward lying lips. Now most of us feel like sin has categories of badness. Now, that's not in scripture, but we feel that way and I can see how you might think that because the consequences of sin are different, but to the Lord it says that sin is sin. And this verse is, say, is saying all lying is an abomination to God. Whether it's exaggeration about an accomplishment to make you feel better. Whether it's gossip about another person to make them look worse. Whether it's a slight cover up in your taxes. Whether it's an outright living this double life. All of it is a sin. And this passage says in multiple places in the book of Proverbs that lying lips are an abomination to God. Again, remember that we use our words for life or death, and there's no such thing as a careless word. As a matter of fact, maybe you remember in chapter 6 where Proverbs lists seven things that God hates. You remember that? Seven things God hates? Let's look at it. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. There's that word again, abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness that breathes out, breathes out lies, and one who sows discord, so, discord among the brothers. When the Old Testament uses this liter, literary device of two and three, or the, here it's six and seven, six things that God hates, seven that are abomination, it really points us to the last thing. It's the last item on the list that matters the most. The seventh thing the Lord really hates is one who sows discord among the brothers. This is the key to understanding the other six. Does that make sense? How we use our words to bring about division and destruction is what sowing discord or driving a wedge between people within the faith community. That's what Proverbs is saying that God hates so much. Not only does God hate it, but it's an abomination to him. It literally means abomination that it turns God's stomach. Have you ever got such bad news that it literally makes you sick to your stomach? You get the wrong call and you don't want to eat anymore. It's just this, that disturbing. And that's what God, when God sees his creation, 
creating disunity or causing a disruption or divide within the faith family. It literally turns God's stomach. Now on that list, three of them are directly related to the words that we use. But they all support this last thing of bringing this divisive spirit among the church. What God hates about haughty eyes, that was the first thing, is that in their arrogance, they sow discord among the brethren. The second thing, what he hates about a lying tongue is how it's gossip and slander that sows discord among the brothers. And on and on we could go. God hates disunity. He hates all discord. And he hates it with a passion. And discord begins with a person's words. I really think that most of these death-dealing words could all fit under this category of lying, and they all certainly lead to destruction. Again, back in chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Now, lying might not bother us that much. Husbands and wives lie to each other, and advertisers lie, and politicians lie, and it's just the way things have to be done sometimes, right? Or so we're told, but that's not true. Jesus said, the devil is a liar and the father of lies in John chapter 8. Why is lying so evil? Because true, sincere, honest words are what bind us together in community. True words make love and trust and intimacy possible, but false words conceal us from one another. Even as we might go on faking community or role-playing community outwardly while something else is really going on in our hearts. And who wants that hypocrisy? There's nothing divine in it and we can trace it all back to how we use our words in comparison in verse 22 lying lips are an abomination to the lord but those who act faithfully are his delight where god delights in those who speak truth Proverbs 20 and verse 15 said there is gold and abundance of in abundance of costly stones But the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Our words have moral status in the sight of God. The lips of the knowledge are a precious jewel, he says, means that knowledgeable, informed, intelligent words are rare and valuable in God's eyes. We always know what it's like to be listening to someone who has no idea what they're talking about. We also know what it's like to fall silent whenever a certain person speaks because what that person is saying is wise and helpful, sometimes even a work of art. And God is saying that life-giving words are precious to him. But it's not just true words that we're after. There is a difference between true words and false words, absolutely. But that's not the only thing we're after because truth, spoken without grace, or maybe I should say the right words spoken at the wrong times, can do nearly as much damage. Truth can be used in really destructive ways. Spoken in the wrong tone and at the wrong time. This happens all the time in my life and probably yours. You ever won a theological argument but lost a friend? You ever won a debate but lost community? In marriages, you ever said what really needed to be said, but you said it at the wrong time and in the wrong tone, and truth ended up hurting more than helping? You really needed to vent something on your chest, had something heavy on your chest, but you lost intimacy instead of building it. See, words can be restrained or they can be reckless. Reckless. 
There is a right time and a right place to use the right words. Chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Words can be restrained or they can be reckless. One writer, Josh Smith, sums it up this way. The words, speaking of the words through Proverbs, the words of the wise are thoughtful, timely, and few. Thoughtful, timely, and few. Conversely, the words of the fool are thoughtless, careless, and many. Proverbs 27 says it this way, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. You see this guy and gal in Proverbs 27 who wants to bless his neighbor, but he wants to do it early in the morning. And even his heart, isn't this funny? Like, especially if you're not a morning person, like, I don't want anyone to speak to me until I've had my coffee, right? That's kind of my motto. I'm gonna, I'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning if I need to so I can have coffee in peace before all the activity starts. So this well-meaning neighbor just wants to bless his neighbor, but he blesses with a really loud voice early in the morning. And Proverbs says that that blessing is now counted as cursing because the neighbor spoke truth, the right words, but at the wrong time and in the wrong tone. Blessing with a loud voice. And then to follow that up, not just the wrong timing, the verse 15, the continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are like, those are people who use too many words. Wrong timing and too many. Here we have truthful words, a blessing actually at the wrong time. You ever use the right words at the wrong time? Ashley and I have been married 15 years, and I'm still learning how to, how to really fight well, if that means, to, to, to resolve conflict well. I'm still learning. The first, man, maybe eight, nine years of our marriage, we went and sat down with a counselor. We had to do this for, um, for marriage counsel. I mean, to be approved to go plant a church. We sat down with this marriage counselor. She asked, how's your marriage? I said, oh, our marriage is rock solid. Me and this girl, we are on the same page. She said, well, tell me about how you, how you fight. Do you fight fair? And I said, oh, we never fight. She said, literally, in like eight or nine, you've never fought. I was like, well, we've had like one or two fights. That was like the first week of our marriage. But after that, we got it down. We're good. She talked a little bit more of her counselor talk, and then she looked at me square in the eyes and said, you know what? She's, you know why you don't fight? Because your wife's not being honest with you. We have fought a lot since then, my wife being honest with me, and I still try to find uh, the right time to fight. Let me tell you when it's not, late at night or early in the morning. Normally when I bring up a subject that's important to me, I bring it up when we're already in bed and she's half asleep, right words at the wrong time. Timing is so important. It's kind of like reminding a person who's walking through incredible grief that God works all things together for good. You gave them truth 
but not from very good perspective. Can I give you a little clue to bless those people who are grieving? You bless them with your, with your presence. Let God and time provide perspective. Just be there. It's like a single person with no kids giving parenting advice. Listen, before I had kids, I was an expert on raising kids. I mean, I would have told you exactly what to do with the Lucky Charms Mickey Mouse thing this morning. I had the best parenting advice in the world. It was good, truthful stuff that had no power of perspective because it was spoken in ignorance. Right words at the right time, with the right tone. Thoughtful and timely. Proverbs 15, verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Chapter 15, verse 23, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season how good it is. The words of the wise are thoughtful and timely, but Proverbs even says that the words of the wise are thoughtful, timely, and few. Chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression, that's the biblical word for sin, sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The more you talk, Proverbs says, the more susceptible you are to walking into sin. The more words, the more likely, or the better the chance it will eventually lead to gossip or slander, boasting or lying. So his admonition to us is to speak less and to listen more. As a matter of fact, in chapter 17, verse 28, it says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Don't you like that? Some of you think you're walking on that road to foolishness. If you would just keep your mouth shut, other people would think that you're intelligent. Just speaking just straight honesty to us here. You might be foolish, but it would be better to keep our mouths shut at times. Oh, it gets worse. Chapter 18, verse 6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I circled that in my Bible, and I have to use that with my kids, I think. Mouth invites a beating. That there are some foolish people who just by the words they use invite a physical beating on themselves. The words of the wise are thoughtful, timely, and few. But the words of the foolish are thoughtless, careless, and many. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, A fool gives vent to his, full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Again, back to chapter 10 verse 19, But the wise man restrains his lips, is prudent. I think this is just amplified in the culture we live in. Anything we see, anything we hear, we can respond to someone without thinking about it. You remember the day when everybody didn't have a cell phone 
And if you had, you needed to share a piece of your mind with someone, you at least had to wait for them to get home, right? You couldn't just immediately shoot off text or immediately call someone or immediately send email. Can't tell, me, tell you how many times I've done this the wrong way. Just, man, how dare he say this? I'm going to send him a three-page email and express. And as soon as it's sent, you feel the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, wrong move, Bubba. That is not what you should have done. But there's no unsend. You can't go back and get it. Here's the bottom line here is that the words of the why should always reflect the words of God. We see this in the words and the ways of Jesus. That he spoke truth every time he opened his mouth, but he spoke truth with grace, right words at the right time, from a pure heart, like with the right tone. He spoke truth and grace. In Luke chapter 4, verse 22, I don't think I have this up here. It says that all spoke well of him, speaking of Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words were coming from his mouth. I went back to read some of these encounters. You may, maybe you remember the encounter Jesus had with the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Guilty, caught in the act before something, embarrassed, pulled in front of many people, standing before the very Son of God, and she felt no condemnation from him. He speaks over her grace and forgiveness and value. Maybe his words with the woman that had the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8. Remember that as she reached out and took part of his garment and power came out from Jesus. And then he turned to her and addressed her as daughter. Restores not only her physical body but her spiritual and emotional and her relational self. He speaks worth and restoration over this weary woman. Again and again we could go how he handled this balance of speaking truth and grace at the same time time his words when the children were surrounding him you remember that even his words of rebuke oftentimes were couched in this understanding and deep desire of love for his disciples or those that he's speaking with when we become like jesus we begin speaking words like this over people words of grace instead of gossip words of value instead of slander words that bring life instead of words that bring death. We begin to bless people and forgive people and speak value into people instead of driving wedge or dis diminishing them or making them feel even less than they are. And the point of all of this, how do I work on what comes out of my mouth? Scripture points us back. Well, you've got to investigate what's in your heart. The battle of words is always fought on the battleground of the heart. Matthew 12, 33, Jesus says this. You're familiar with this, I'm sure. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. 
For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus, not mincing words, says you can play all the religious games you want, but your mouth, what comes out of your mouth over time is going to reveal, be a magnifying glass to what's actually in your heart. Our words reveal the condition of our heart. Do we have a heart that's freed from sin, a heart that's pursuing God, increasing in love, desiring the things of God as our ultimate goal in life? The only way we can change the fruit of our lips is when the root of our heart changes. As long as our hearts are enslaved to sin and dead in sin, we will not speak life-giving words from our lips. The selfish heart brings forth evil treasure, Jesus says. God always works inside out. This has kind of been the summary of the past several weeks, even in the song we sang, that God works inside out. A wise person is the person in in right relationship with the Lord, who leans on the Lord and submits to the Lord in joyful obedience. If we want our words to change, we have to address our hearts. This is the hope of the gospel, that not only will God deal with our sin, but he gives us a new heart. And this is not speaking just of justification, just of the moment that we step across the line of faith, just when we become children of God. It's not speaking just of that. Certainly that's when we get the new heart, but we have to saturate ourselves in the words and wisdom of God. We've got to look at it and let it read us. We've got to live a life of confession and repentance ongoing. If not, then the sin that remains, it doesn't reign over us. We're not slaves to it anymore, but if we're not careful, if we're not pursuing the heart of God and allowing him to conform us into the image of Christ, then we will go on speaking careless words that resemble the stench of death. And this is how God renews us. Through the power of the gospel message of his love for sinners like you and me. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to activate faith in our hearts, which leads to new life in our hearts and new words in our mouths. What happened when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost? The risen Jesus filled the hearts of his people, and they could not stop praising him. And the true church of God has never stopped and never will. As we've seen through the book of Proverbs, foolishness is really a faith issue. Of you choosing your own way instead of God's way. The problem is not one of effort, but one of belief. Foolishness in our lives shows us that we are not believing in Jesus. And that is so true when it comes to the foolishness of our words. Our biting words and lying words and sinful words are heard because we are not satisfied and happy and secure in all that God is and has for us. But faith in Jesus will free you from that. What would it be like for us to be a faith community, saturated in the gospel, arms open wide, loving anyone who will step into a relationship with us? This should be a place of life. The church should. It should be a place of rejoicing. It should be a place of gratitude. Gratitude. 
should be a place of overwhelmingly response to the goodness of God. That's why I don't understand sometimes when we come in here, and to me, just sometimes it feels a little bit like a funeral. And Weston's up here, like, you know, and, and Joe, the guys, and Adam singing their guts out trying to get us, and we're standing there like these statues of, I, I dare you, impress me, Pastor. I'm not advocating for any certain way to respond to the words of God, but certainly there should be a joyful obedience about it. That we're not submitting to this yoke of slavery. What did Jesus say? If you're burdened or heavy laden, then take my yoke upon you. That's what it means to walk with God, and that's what's offered to all of those who will follow him in obedience. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is what frees us from a life of insecurity and not being satisfied. It brings true fulfillment. And that's how we're going to end the service today. We're going to participate in communion in just a minute, just reminding us again of the condition of our heart. You don't have to be a member here to participate, absolutely not. But Jesus said you do have to be part of his church. I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to really speak clearly to you? Maybe it's some sin that he would bring up into your heart. Maybe it's some words that you said. Maybe you didn't even really think you meant them. You were just a little reckless or haphazard, and they fell like seed on the heart of your kids or your spouse or a neighbor or friend. They've just caused a lot of damage. They, couldn't, they could have even been truthful words, just spoken at the wrong time, the wrong tone. A lot of truth, but maybe little grace. Maybe you're err on the side of grace in here. You've, you've been very, very gracious with people, but you've not spoken any truth to them. Maybe that's your step of obedience that God is calling you to with the heart of love and being prayed up and with the right time and the right tone that you will sit down with someone and speak loving but true words to them. Maybe you just need to look at your heart. It's very possible in a room this size, some of you are very far from God. You've played religious games a long time and you know when to stand and sit and Shake hands and call everybody brother or sister or whatever the, the thing is, but you've never had a right relationship with him. Today would be the day to start that. Place your full trust in him as Lord and Savior. Father, you are good to us. Your words to us are life. You say of your word itself that it's living and active and it's sharp. So precise, it's able to divide joints and marrow. It's able to divide soul and spirit. It's able to divide even the motivations of our heart with what comes out of our mouth. So Father, I pray as, as you work in us that you would speak very clearly to us. 
whether we respond in confession and repentance or we respond with a heart that's overwhelmed with gratitude that expresses itself in love. I pray that this church, Covenant Church, would be a place of life-giving words. And any attempt the enemy makes to sow seeds of gossip or slander or division, or that you would illuminate those very quickly and they would be dealt with. Father, any underlying hatred in my own heart, prejudice, would be rooted out. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do this work in us, individually and as a body, that we may bring you glory. May may we be a picture to the watching world of what it means to submit our lives and to follow you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. When you're ready, come and take part in communion. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray. And we'll sing in a minute. Come when you're ready.
Jesus is better than 
pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for the chance to worship you as the body of Christ, the church in this place. We thank you for calling us together. We thank you for the work that you are doing in the places where we live. And I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to where you are already at work around us in the lives of our neighbors and co-workers and friends, people that exist in our context, people at the grocery store we go to, at the coffee shop we go to. God, who are these people made in your image that you deeply love, who you have called us to share just a glimpse of your kingdom with? God, give us a vision for those people. Give us a deep sense of empathy for them. Give us a heart to see your gospel revealed to them. And may we be obedient to follow you into that, Father. Lord, we thank you for your great love, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated real quick. We're going to take up our morning offering. And uh, I hope that uh, the offering time is just an extension of worship for you. You know, this is one of those things uh, that Scripture talks a lot about. You guys can go ahead and start taking it up. Um, you know, Scripture talks so much about money. Jesus talks so much about money. And yet, for whatever reason, it's not something we like to talk about. We don't like to feel as if we're being told what to do with our money. And yet, I, I, would, I would challenge you just to explore Scripture about what God has to say about that. God um, has a lot of thoughts about how we should use the resources that we've been given. And at the end of the day, he sees them as his possessions and his financial resources. And um, unfortunately, sometimes we get that confused. We forget they actually belong to him um, and they've just been entrusted to us to steward them. And so I hope that when we have a time like offering, that this is just an extension of worship for you, that this is just another opportunity for you to say, man, God, you are so good. You have blessed us so much. You take care of us in such an incredible way. Um, And so we want to honor you uh, by being generous in, in all aspects of our life. Um, as we wrap up this morning, uh, thanks for being here today. If you're our guest today, uh, we hope that you've had a good experience. Uh, I'll be hanging out. Uh, Luke and Jason will be hanging out as well. If you'd like to pray with somebody or talk with somebody after the service this morning. Uh, we also have lunch going on uh, behind the curtain. If you pick the right curtain, there's lunch going on behind it. Um, and we've got plenty of food today. So even if you haven't bought a ticket in advance or anything like that, we've still got a ton of food. We would love for you to kind of have a family meal with us this morning as we support uh, the Easts as they prepare to go to the East um, and uh, go visit the Pow people and see what's going on over there. So uh, we love you guys. Thank you all for being here today, and uh, we'll see you later. Bye. My heart be still Though the earth gives way The mountains move into the sea The nations rage I know my God is in control Though oceans roar You are the Lord of all The one who calms the wind and waves And makes my heart be